worship, let us bow down, let us kneel before the Lord our God, our Maker. God, would you first forgive us for being... I don't know what word to use here. Is it too casual? Is it is it irreverent? There's some line where we've crossed over from being comfortable in your presence to being accepted, to being loved, to knowing that we've been forgiven. That you don't call us servants, you call us friends. And that's wonderful, amazing, overwhelming that that you would think of us and treat us that way. Somewhere we cross the line and now we take you for granted. And perhaps unintentionally, I hope unintentionally, but even to the point of, if not disregarding, at least disrespectful. God forgive us for that. Help us to remember that you are the Lord God, maker of all that is. And without living in dread, you've not called us to live in dread. But help us not to lose that sense of awestruck wonder when we're in the presence of the living God. Help us to fight the good fight of faith and to believe that those of us that have truly embraced you, we're absolutely, totally, thoroughly forgiven. We have to continue to grovel in our sin, worried that you love us. And though you've proved that historically at Calvary, and you've sent us the Holy Spirit to reassure us constantly. But may we not on the other extreme, embrace those truths to such an intellectual degree that I, I, I can just, just roll up on Jesus any time like he's just one of the fellas. Oh Lord, you are, well, Lord. And so help us to find ways to recapture that sense, whether it's bowing, kneeling, or in an earnest way, not just a traditional, habitual American way, but in, a, in an earnest, spiritual, deep place that we acknowledge you as king. Not just over creation, over my life. Now specifically for this morning, I'm asking God that you would capture our hearts with this this great biblical principle that we cannot redeem, save, forgive, rescue ourselves. Your grace does that outside of us. Something else, someone else has to, to do that for us and it always requires, always blood, death, Help me to understand that. Yeah. The seriousness, the, the, the broadness of, of the significance of, of redemption. Yeah. That it's not just a simple little, now I lay me down to sleep, repeat after me prayer. This requires radical sacrifice. To get us clean in your presence. Help us to get that today. Open our eyes to this great truth, please. In Jesus' name. Amen. Open your Bibles or scripture will be on the screen. Genesis chapter 17. Open your Bibles this morning, book of Genesis. We're looking at three illustrations with you this morning. And you can all in a kind of a congregational way and say, ah, oh, at the same time, it really is three sermons trying to 
condensed into one. Which is ironic because my schedule today, I need to get on the road like quickly. You would think that well, today's fine today. Uh, not so fast. <laughs> We've got some great stuff to cover. It really is the same point, three different illustrations. But, well, then if it's the same thing, why repeat yourself? Because the Bible does. The Bible is filled with intentional redundancy. Because we have a hard time grasping these concepts. We read over and say, wow, that's interesting. And we move on and we resort back to our logical thinking. And so to fight that logical thinking, the Bible is constantly saying the same thing over and over and over and over and over again in very creative, distinct ways, but in principle saying the same thing. That's why I've said forever with you, I was not saying 10,000 different things. It's saying a few things in a thousand different ways. And to catch that principle and be looking for this redundancy all through the Scripture, Old Testament and New Testament alike. We begin this morning in Genesis chapter 17. We're still talking about substitutionary atonement. We were there last week in Genesis chapter 3. They tried to cover their sin with fig leaves. The fig leaves were rejected and God, by blood sacrifice, God killed an animal and covered them with the skins of the animal. They were covered not by themselves. Their attempt to cover themselves was rejected. Our attempt to work our way into heaven will always be rejected. God provides the way for our cleansing, for our covering, for our acceptance. And that's the big idea from Genesis to Revelation. We're seeing three illustrations of it this morning, starting in chapter 17 with the story of Isaac. So, here's the story. Abraham and Sarah, they can't conceive... And God comes to them in chapter 17 and starting in verse 15, but I want to get right away, I want to get down to verse, uh, God says to Abraham, look, this is what I'm going to do. For you, tell your wife Sarah, 16, I will bless her, moreover, I will give you a son. Now let me see, I should know this, uh, at this point, he's 90, she's 80, and Isaac is born 10 years from now. Rough numbers. This is a 90-year-old man saying to his 80-year-old wife, I'm not trying to be crude or funny, but it's probably safe to assume that they pretty much missed the window of reproduction <laughs> on both sides, male and female. Things aren't working like when you're 20. <laughs> I will bless her, verse 16. I will give you a son by her. I will bless her and bless her. In fact, this son will be the beginning of nations and kings of people on the verse 17. Abraham fell on his face and he laughed. I just want to stop there for a second. And you're thinking, well, I would never laugh in God's face. Well, okay, we're playing with words. You're telling me there's not been those moments you go, that's never going to happen. That's never going to happen. Well, you may not call that laughing at God, but you're laughing at God. You're doubting His power. You're doubting His purpose. Because His plan doesn't make sense to you. Think You think it's <clears throat> foolish. Laughable. Don't get stuck with the language. Catch the concept. This is faithlessness at its best. Coming from Abraham, who the Bible calls the father of faith. Because the father of faith wasn't always a man of faith. He learned it by walking with God. Right. And whatever you think of me, your pastor, whatever you think I am, if I'm, if I'm, a, if I'm a three and a half out of ten, I, I used to be a one. Everybody was something else before they were this wonderful, amazing Christian, as if any of us are that. He laughed. Just let that sink in. And what do you think the promises of God, the scriptures that we read, the call of God in your life, well, that's silly. <laughs> Me? <laughs> As 
he forgot? Is he too busy with the rest of creation? I'm 80 years old. My wife's 80 years old. I'm 90 years old. It's been a long time since we even thought about that. <laughs> what do you think is impossible for God to do in your life? Right. Right. Get to chapter 21. Chapter 21. Still play on this word laughter. Chapter 21, beginning in verse 1. So the Lord visited Sarah as he had said. As God had promised. Because God keeps his promises. Amen. In this case, ten years later. And our context is we don't get what we pray for, you know, at least within 10 days, forget 10 years. Well, that's not what happens. I prayed uh, 10 days. <laughs> the Lord visited Sarah as he had said and did as he had promised. Hear those two phrases. Did as he had said and did as he had promised. Let's get down to verse 6. Verse 6 is critical. They named the boy Isaac in verse 3. In verse 6, you'll catch this phrase. And it is. And Sarah said, God has given me laughter. Look at the play on the words. We laughed at God because we think this is unthinkable. It's crazy talk. This is God. And far too many of us know that kind of laughter, that irreverent laughter, that you got to be kidding me laughter. I mean, God can do anything. We say that, and on some level, we believe that. But he's not going to do that in this situation. Uh, somehow we think we're the exception. Somehow we think that I, I've not been faithful enough. Well, Abraham wasn't all that faithful when he fell his face laughing at God. Right. But here they are. And now with brokenness and humility, but joy, she says, now I am laughing. Not out of sarcasm, not out of disbelief or doubt. God, you're too good to do it. God, God you give me sincere laughter. You give me a, 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 a humble laughter. You've given me a, a deep-seated spiritual joy laughter. Oh my goodness, God, you're just too good to me. I want you to catch that context. Go to chapter 22. Uh, if we just read chapter 17 and chapter 21, we think, okay, the, it was tough for a little while. They had doubt. Then God came through and their, their doubts were, were washed away and it was happy ever after. Well, no, no, no. Look at verse 20, uh, verse 1, chapter 22, verse 1. And God tested Abraham. God tested Abraham. He said, Abraham, i got this little thing for you. He said, okay, okay, I'm right here. What, what do you want, God? What do you want, God? 22. I want you to offer up your son. And the test is almost always related to your struggle with faith, your struggle with unbelief. Yeah. The very issue that taught you faith and now let's, 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 let's take a jab at that, at that very moment, that very circumstance, that very concept. You were childless, you were very old, and I said it's going to happen. You laugh, but it did happen. And now here's a, here's a test. Here's a test. I want you to offer that son to me. And it's not just an emotional, give your son to me, because we also, we give our kids to God, but then we don't. Right. I mean even emotionally, let alone open his throat. Give your children to me. I'll give them back to you. Until, okay, okay, and we, it's a now I lay me down to sleep. You know, we join hands and we pray some prayer over our kids. And if it's not like I'm mocking that, I am mocking it. It's not that you're doing that, but we do it in a superficial way. And then God begins to uh, rough them up a little. We say, oh God, God, no, no I, didn't, I didn't think you were going to do that. I didn't, I didn't think it. I didn't think it was bad. Well, we, we take that. Oh, I take it back. No, God, you can't do it. I have to protect my kids because I love my kids more than you do, God. Oh my goodness! I'm going to test you. 
I'm going to test you. Look at verse 5. Look at verse 5. Same chapter 22. Verse 5. If you have your Bible, you can go that way. Chapter 22, verse 5. This is what Abraham said. So, okay, God, if this is what you want, I'm going to do. And the skeptics and atheists loved this story because what kind of a God would do this? Yeah. They love this passage. And I love this passage too because God doesn't do this, but he wants to see if I'm willing to walk with him no matter what. Yeah. Yeah. This is what Abraham says. Now his son is not like three years old now. He could be 14, he could be 16, 17 years the oldest. I mean, he's, a, he's not a grown man, but he doesn't look like this. He would, he would look, might look like Brandon, who could beat his father down. Yeah. But he's never going to do it. <laughs> Brandon can do that now. If his dad was 80, Brandon could do that. So they get ready. And, and they've got some, some servants there with them. And he says to the servants in verse 5, You guys stay here. You guys stay here. The donkey that brought all the stuff. You guys stay here. Me and my sons. Me and the boy. We will go over there and worship. And what does the verse say? Come again. And come again. Abraham's not laughing now. This isn't silly. This man is expecting a miracle. He's not saying, I'm going to go through the motions. The man has made up his mind, and I can prove on this sheet, we're not going to read from Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11 makes it explicitly clear what's happening in these passages in Genesis with Abraham. Abraham is thoroughly convinced that he's literally going to kill his son, and God is going to bring him back to life. Hebrews chapter 11 makes that perfectly clear. Please read it this afternoon. You guys stay here. Me and the boy will be right back. Because I'm about to see God raise my son from the dead. Yeah. Verse 7 and 8. It's pretty much more of the same. Isaac says to his father. Now it's the boy talking. The father's talking to, to his, his servants. But now the boy said, hey dad. It's getting a little shaky here dad. Yeah. He said, son, okay, I'm here. What, what, what is it? We got the fire. They, they're, they're carrying some flame. They've got a flint. How are we going to make fire? We, we, we've got fire. We've got wood. We have a sacrifice. We don't have a lamb. We don't have a goat. We, we don't have a, 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 a turtle dove, a pigeon. We, 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 we bring an animal for sacrifice. A blood sacrifice. A blood sacrifice. God will provide for himself. God will provide. Now let's get to the end of the story. Verse 10, look at verse 10. So he reached out his hand and he took the knife. He's about to thrust this blade into his son's heart or his chest. You've got to think this through. The angel of the Lord called him from heaven, from heaven. Wow. Wow. I love that. Wow. Abraham! Abraham! I'm listening. I'm here. Do not lay your hand on the board. Do anything. I know now. I know now that you fear God, saying you've not withheld your son, your only son, from me. I know now. Skip to verse 14. This is beautiful. Verse 14 sums up this illustration. So Abraham called the name of that place. 
the Lord will come. The Lord will provide. You know why God tests us? Because we're not to that place. We're not to that place. Carmen, I just prayed yesterday. We've got multiple issues and, 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 and driving with good friends that will laugh the whole way for the next four days is, is not a problem. We, we've got some things looking at us right now. Don't panic. This old pastor looked at we got some stuff looking at us right now that's overwhelming. And we had a nice little talk yesterday and we prayed. And, and while we didn't use this language, in my heart I'm saying, honey, we're okay. The Lord will provide. I don't know how. And that's why it said to this very day on that mountaintop, this is the place where the Lord provides. Well, a confession here, when the missionary of the day was talking about uh, Heidi, I know Heidi well, and she was doing the interview, sweet girl, just sweet girl, she's so nice, she wouldn't say to that missionary, what's wrong with you, man? It's like, well, she would never say, I would say that. How are you never going to say anything like that? But, but the guy is saying, why don't we miss our family in Texas? Dude, you live in Georgia! <laughs> in an afternoon, you can be there and you can eat some barbecue and come home. What, what, what's your crying about? <laughs> Those are 21st century American Christian problems. I have to Texas. Shut up and come home. <laughs> I mean, really, come on. I'm not trying to be exaggerating and, and, and sarcastic. I, I, that's not a problem. We don't sing the great old classic hymns of the Reformation, and, and, and we should. Let goods and kindred go. This mortal life also. The body they may kill. His truth abides still. His kingdom is forever. Yeah. People willing to die for the cause of Christ and you miss some people in Texas. <laughs> That's the problem. We don't see the hand of God. To this day, if you spend a chunk of money and get on a tour of, of, of the Holy Land, depending on how many days and how far your scope is, how much money you got, you would go to this mountain and believe this is the place where Abraham offered Isaac. And God said, no, I know now. As if God didn't know. I think God doesn't know, but we don't know. Right. I think I trust God until I'm called to show that I really trust God. And I say, I got to go back to Texas. <laughs> and God's promises are way bigger than Texas. Oh, yes. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. This is what it costs us to get to heaven. This kind of faith. And somebody's death. And we've turned it into a now and lay me down to sleep. Repeat after me in Jesus. I believe in Jesus. <laughs> Look at that. That's given over to me. I'm going to heaven. Yeah. Blood has to be shed. Death occurs. Before anybody goes to heaven. And we've lost that. We've turned it into something way less. Yeah. I repeat after me, jump through these hoops. These are magical words. Just say them. Mm. No, Abraham's faith was tested. Right. Second illustration. Go to the book of Exodus, chapter 12. Book of Exodus. This is Passover. We are at the end of the ten plagues. That's where the Passover was first instituted. Exodus chapter 12, by the way, in your printed notes there, this year's Passover falls on tax day. April 15th. Kind of makes sense. They're killing us. Exodus chapter 12. This was such a significant moment. This is such a this is such a, 
a, a, a history-changing moment. Catch verse 1 and 2. That from now on, we would call it our January. The year starts here. The year starts at Passover. The Jewish calendar, the Jewish year, it began when we've been in Egypt for 430 years. They, they weren't slaves the whole time. They lived there for 430 years. But the last, I'm not going to guess, uh, just slightly under half of that. Just slightly under half of that, maybe right at half, that 430 years, was first half. Uh, uh, Jacob was like the second in charge and everyone loved the Jews because huh, they saved us. That kid figured out how to save some grain, and, and we had bread to eat, and other people had bread to eat. We made money selling this grain. That kid saved us, but we love that kid. But then the Pharaoh died, new Pharaoh came, and, and the Hebrew community, are, they are just, they're having children, 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 and their, their, their numbers are increasing, and the new Pharaoh that never knew Jacob said, uh, we got a little problem here. Their birth rate is like way past ours, and, and when those kids are having grew up, they could turn on us and kill us. So we better kill them before they kill us. And that's what the new family did. And for the second half of that 430 years, their slave is now in Egypt. The land that they delivered and spared, saved, is now enslaving them. Why would God do that? Because he always tests us. Do you trust me? Even when it doesn't make sense, when it's hard, when it's painful, you still trust me. Can you only trust me in the daylight? You can't trust me in the dark. This is such a critical moment. Verse 2 says, from now on, I should have done the homework just so I could have told you, but whatever the year used to begin, the calendar began the first month, no more. From this point forward, what we call springtime, our April, is their January. No, the, the year starts now. Everything gets changed after today. Because this is when we're brought back to life. This is our new beginning. Our fresh start. Like the nation is sort of kind of here, born again. How about that? Look at verse 7. Chapter 12 and verse 7. Here's what you do. You take a lamb or a goat, a young, the word lamb is, is either sheep or goat, a, 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 a young. It's not old and wore out and beat up and skint and diseased. You don't give God that. You give him the best. Yeah. Young and vibrant and healthy and strong. A goat, a sheep, you take a, a young lamb that's either way. Verse 1 through 6. And you offer that blood as a sign of death and trusting in substitutionary death. That's verse 7. Take some of the blood, put it on the two vertical pieces, doorposts, and the lintel, that's the horizontal piece, in your doorway. Exterior doors in your home, interior doors, like that door and that door, or the outside door, that's an outside door, on the upper, upright parts and the lintel, the cost part across the top, Cover your house and all in it with sacrificial blood. There's just no substitute. There's, there's no way to get around in the Bible blood sacrifice. Starting in verse 11, Chapter 12 and verse 11. In this manner you shall eat the Passover meal with your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet, your staff in your hand. Eat it in haste. Now the Passover in the New Testament is best reflected in what we call the Lord's Supper. Some people call it communion. And I'm not mocking it now, but, but catch, my, catch my emphasis. We, we get caught up in this, this emotional, cultural thing. Oh, it's communion Sunday. Oh, that's, yeah, you know, every other Sunday, yeah, it's like communion. Oh, that's, that's communion. Oh. And when we get serious, we get spiritual, we get religious, and, and oh, you, you can, you know, 
you know, he was playing the Cowboys. Forget that. But communion Sunday you can't miss communion Sunday. And and you know, all these kind of ways, all this, all this stuff. You, you, no, the first Lord's Supper, they had their coats on, staff in his hand, they're eating, standing up, because they're listening for a trumpet. Yeah. Yeah. Or maybe they're eating with their hands. And looking over their shoulder, and someone's looking out the window. You hear anything, kids? Hear anything? Hear anything, Mama? Hear anything? And they're eating, and they're anticipating tonight's the night. 430 years. We're out of here. Wow. And when the trumpet blows, drop everything. Yeah. And we start walking. Yeah. Wow. This is some beautiful stuff. Verse 11. Bells passing all of that. Verse 12. I will pass through the land of Egypt that night. I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. If your firstborn's a daughter and your house is not covered by the blood, your firstborn's a son and your house is not covered by the blood, the oldest cow you got in your flock, the oldest... A lamb or goat, whatever you've got, man and beast, all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgment. God is killing heresy. God is killing false doctrine. And he's preserving those who put their faith in him. The blood shall be a sign of you, verse 13, on the houses where you are. Here it comes. When I was a little kid, we used to sing the songs, an old hymnal, in, 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 in the old hymnal. When I see the blood, I will pass over you. That's a beautiful verse. Yeah. And it does say, when I see you are being nice on Sunday. Yeah. When I see that you quit cheating on your taxes. When I see filling your blank. He's looking for one thing. And the one thing has nothing to do with your morality. I'm not saying your morality after conversion doesn't matter. So whether you go to heaven or not has nothing to do with your morality or your ethic or lack thereof. When I see the blood of the substitutionary sacrifice. When I see the blood of Jesus Christ. Illustrated in a lamb or a pigeon or all the Old Testament. When I see the blood, do you think I'm going to stand before God in heaven and He asked me to give account? I'll say, Well, I, you know, you, you don't know them people backward. <laughs> I got one word to say, one phrase. Father, I plead the covering of the blood of Jesus. Yeah. I got nothing else yeah. to say. You think I'm going to make an argument to my faithfulness? I'm not going to make an argument to my faithfulness. When I see the blood, I will pass over you. And because of that, no plague will befall you to destroy you. Just say, I'll take away all your problems. He's not saying that. But your problems won't kill you. Your problems won't kill you. We all got to die of something. Yeah, but during that time that, that, that things are breaking down, stuff's not working anymore. It, it's, it's, yeah, look what God is doing. I'm, I'm being transferred out of this sinful environment yeah. into the very presence of the living God. Yeah. No blame will befall you to destroy you when I show my judgment. On Egypt. Wow. In the New Testament, we get the equivalent. First Peter chapter one. First Peter chapter one and verse seventeen. And if you call on him as father, if you cry out to God, not just as some God or even the God, no, you're my God. Yes. If you come to him personally, intimately, throwing your life in the keeping of his hands. Not making a deal, oh, forgive my sins and I'll go to church unless... I'm not negotiating a situation. 
I'm in trouble. You're my only hope. I'm throwing my life on your mercy. And if you want, you tell me to do anything, and I'll do my best to do it, because you're the king now. If you call him as father, you're my father. I do what you say. He judged them harshly according to each one's deed. Conduct yourself with fear throughout the time of your exile. From my conversion, my spiritual birth, to my physical death, he's the boss. He's the boss. Knowing that you were ransomed from futile ways that you learned from your ancestors. We've all learned religious stuff, moral stuff, ethical stuff, some of it good, some of it not good at all. We've all learned certain patterns and behaviors and we've picked up stuff. But now that I've come to God as my Father, I've been ransomed. He paid the price. Amen. I was found guilty of a crime. They put me in jail. So somebody mortgaged the house, sold the car, they did something, and 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 they went and bought a bail bond, and I got out of jail because someone paid a price. Right. You know why we're not locked up in hell for eternity? Because yeah. Jesus paid my price. You've been ransomed from the feudal ways that we learned from our ancestors. But we weren't ransomed with perishable things like silver or gold for a temporary bail bond. If I'm found guilty, I'm going back. No. No, we were ransomed with the precious blood of Christ. Not a lamb, not a goat, not a bull, not a pigeon. And they had wheat offerings and grain offerings. No, no. All those are pictures, illustrations. We were ransomed with the precious blood of Christ. Yeah. Yeah. Like the lamb that was in a spot of blemish. All of this Old Testament stuff is pictures of the fulfillment. Listen, if Jesus is not the Messiah, we should be offering sacrifices, blood sacrifices here this morning. Yeah, right. The only reason we're not, because that's crude and it, it's just disgusting. No, we're not doing it because there's no need for it, because Christ has become our eternal sacrifice. And if you reject Christ as your sacrifice, go get yourself a lamb and get a knife. Christ is our deliverance. He makes us holy. He makes us acceptable in the presence of, the, of our Father. This is the work of God's grace. I didn't raise the lamb. I didn't kill the lamb. God provided. This is what we learned from, from Isaac's story. The Lord will provide. The Lord will provide. I didn't go get my own lamb. I, 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 I didn't feed it and nurture it and love it and kill it. I, I didn't do any of that. God provided the lamb. Mm-hmm. And the lamb is himself. Yeah. The Trinity became flesh and offered up himself. But the relationship was present as father and son. So we would get, that's the cost. Death. But death of not just some stranger. Uh, find some hobo who doesn't have much of life in there. Who cares? No one knows him. No one's going to miss him. Just let him die. This is the sinless Son of God. Yeah. Yeah. So that's Exodus, the Passover. Leviticus is the Day of Atonement. Leviticus chapter 16. Now, let me set this up for you. It's a beautiful. These are three sermons, but I can't believe how fast I'm rushing through this. But let me slow down just a little bit here, but I can't slow down too much because we all know what. <laughs> Look at chapter 16, uh, verse 1. It's not in Mark. I didn't give it to you, so you have to read it out of your Bible. I'm sorry, but I should have given you verse 1. Chapter 16, verse 1 says this. The Lord spoke to Moses after the death of the two sons of Aaron... That's Nadab and Abihu. When they drew near before the Lord and they died. Chapter 16, verse 1 gives you a time stamp. And the time stamp of verse 1 is 
What I'm about to tell you happened after Nadab and Abihu got caught in their stupidity and rebellion and, and God struck them dead. That happened way back in chapter 10. Nadab and Abihu offered what is called strange fire. So there was supposed to be, as a picture, everything in the Old Testament is pictures, 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 illustrations, illustrations, illustrations. Reminders, 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 until the real thing comes. And all of it, the tabernacle itself, the priest, the, the roads, the, the, the sacrifice, everything to minute detail, everything is saying, this is the picture of Jesus, this is the picture of Jesus, this is the picture of Jesus, we're going to get to Jesus. What we just did, Peter, we'll do it again in a minute, the Gospel of John. Everything is talking about Jesus. So when the New Testament comes, this is it, this is it. And the Pharisees and the Pharisees, that ain't it, you ain't it, forget you, no way. And, and so there we have the classic illustration of religion. Even when God gave us Hebrew religion, they turned it into something that they could do without God. And religion is the perfect illustration that we can be good without God. Oh, we say we believe in God, we talk about God. But we run the show around here. And we've made ourselves good. We just talk about God. Wow. And these days we don't call it Hebrew religion. We call it Presbyterians and Baptists and Methodists. We, we, we figured out to be good, morally, culturally good. I mean, ain't nobody perfect. So Nadab and Abihu, their job was to keep the fire going all the time because it's an illustration of God never dies and his presence and his power is always with us. And it's illustrated in a number of ways. One of the many ways was the fire. Keep the fire going. Don't let that fire go out. Well, the boys got drunk and they fell asleep and the fire went out. Got drunk drinking the communion wine, and 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 uh, they went to sleep, and the fire went out. Ooh, big trouble now! Big trouble now! And so ultimately, they die. And then, what's interesting about why does he give this timestamp in chapter 16? But it happened for week after chapter 10. Because from chapters 11, 12, 13, 14, and 15, oh my goodness, you feel like, let's get through this section. Because all it is is deep detail that when the priest, they have to cleanse this, and they have to clean themselves, they have to wash their garments, and they have to clean the, the altar, and they have to clean this, and they have to clean this, and they have to clean this, clean this, clean this, all this, all this ritual. Oh, who cares about this? Just get it done! And God is saying from verse chapters 11 through 15, no, 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 don't you rush through this and just get it done. Right. I'm giving you my perfect son. Yeah. My sinless son. Yeah. My beautiful, sinless, perfect son. Yeah. Don't you roll up on me with just some haphazard, throw anything on, come on, let's get it done. Yeah. No, Jesus was born... Not by natural conception, because that would defile him. And even when he's, before he's even bar mitzvah, when he's 11 or 12, we see him in the temple, reasoning because of his insight and his handling of the scriptures as a little boy, filled with the Spirit of God. He is God in the flesh. The way he turns the other cheek and, and, and loves those that spit on him. And he lays down his life. He voluntarily. This is why in the, in, 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 in the last few scenes, right before the crucifixion, they're in the garden praying and the soldiers come and, and they say, we're looking for some guy named Jesus. And he says, I'm, I'm, you're looking for me. You're looking for me. I'm right here. Doesn't run, doesn't hide. But just so we remember, just so we remember, as they approach him, it seems that he spoke something, and they just fell over dead. Oh. Not dead, but they, they all fell down, and they were like knocked out. <laughs> and then they get up, and he voluntarily goes away. Well, why is that little scene there? Because God is saying, you know, I can stop this anytime I want. Right. Mm. That's right. 
But I'm not going to stop this because you need me to die for you. Yeah. You you need me to pay your debt. Because you can't save yourself. You can't be good enough on your own. You can't religious yourself. I'm using like a verb into heaven. You need substitutionary atonement. Which has been the principle all over the Bible. That's how we get to chapter 16. It ain't having to buy you a day. Because that way will never work. So this is how God does it. Skip down to verse 6. Aaron shall offer the bull as a sin offering first for himself. He'll make atonement for himself and then for his house. And then, another great illustration of substitutionary atonement. He shall take two goats. Verse 7. He shall take two goats and set both of them before the Lord at the entrance of the tabernacle, the tent of meeting, where God would meet with the people. And Aaron the priest shall cast lots. And in our crude comparisons, we go, that's like rolling dice. And I sort of kind of get where that idea comes from. The priest had this vest. And on the front of the vest, you could see there were uh, uh, 12 stones representing the 12 tribes of Israel. So whatever, you know, like your birthstone, that was their, their tribe stone. This tribe, that tribe, the 12 tribes, and they would each have their stone. And it exists. So when he's praise to God, he's bringing all the people with him. Get it? Mm-hmm. It's like a spiritual wedding ring. I represent all the people of God. Yeah. But behind this little apron looking garment, there was a little, behind it, a little pocket you can get on either side, I suspect. Maybe just one, but you could reach behind and and there would be uh, two stones. One was painted kind of a flat, smooth stone. Either they were painted or you would find a stone that was dark and one that was light. One was very dark, black, one was very light, white, bronze, uh, or, or beige, or you, you get like that. And when you couldn't make decisions, you would just toss the stones and, and two of the same color meant something, different color meant something. I don't know how they did that. That's how we, we get the phrase casting lots. They would cast lots. So now we've got these two goats. And and they would the priest would toss the stones. Okay, that one's for the Lord. And okay, this one is is uh, to be let go. So you've got these two goats and you figure out which one's going to do what. But Jesus represents both of them. Yeah. <clears throat> So we're in verse 7, right? Take two goats. Verse 8, cast lots. Read verse 8. The Lord shall cast lots over two goats. One for the Lord, one for Azazel. See now that finally there's something new. All this stuff, come on, Pastor. You know, I, I got stuff to do. I've heard all this stuff. I know, I've heard, I know this stuff. Keep moving, keep moving. Okay, here, go home today. So you've learned about Azazel. Azazel. What's that, honey? I don't know. <laughs> one for the Lord and one for Azazel. The Bible it, it does not give us any information, and no matter who you question to get an answer, all these books in my library, here's what they all wind up saying. We don't know. <laughs> we know this. It's either a man, a person, or a place, and it has to do with the opposite of God. Probably a representation of Satan, but it's at least the polar opposite. This we sacrifice to God, and this we lay all our sin and we drive the goat from us. Get out of here, you filthy, stinking goat. This goat is beautiful because his blood covers our sin. This goat is disgusting because all our sin is stuck in him. All our sin is stuck on him. It's not just covered by the blood. He's got my sin, your sin, the sins of the world, or at least the sins of Israel. Get that stinking, smelly, sinful goat away from me. I don't want to be reminded of my sin. And that goat was sent away. 
And there's a number of theories of what would happen, but they're all cultural theories. There's no clear biblical what would happen once they were sent away. We finally read verse 9 and 10. Aaron shall present the goat on which the lot fell to the Lord and use it as a sin offering. Verse 10, but the goat on which the lot fell for Azazel shall be presented alive before the Lord to make atonement for it, that it may be sent away into the wilderness of Azazel. The wickedness prevails. Go there. Not here. So sometimes substitutionary atonement is a lamb is slain and the blood is applied over the door of the house, picturing that all in this house have put their faith in God. Sometimes substitutionary atonement is portrayed in two players in, in the play, but they both represent one person who does two things. Jesus sheds his blood that covers our sin, but in absorbing our sin, he takes it away from us. He takes it away from us. When I was a little kid down south, all of my cousins thought we were rich because we had indoor plumbing. And I guess by that standard, we weren't. If, if that's your criteria, we had indoor plumbing. And in the summertime, it was a chance for me to get to know all my cousins and, and, and you know, spend time on, on their farm. We had a, my dad had a, we weren't really farmers. He had a huge garden. His garden was at least as big as this church building. And I would say, Dad, you're a farmer. He said, I ain't a farmer. That's just a thought. His garden was as big as this thing. And I don't mean just this room. I mean from front to back, about this wide, that was his garden. And, and I was his mule. <laughs> he said, any wonder to you that I have zero interest in putting in a garden? I would go to visit my cousins, stay with them many of the weeks, most of the weeks of the summer. And they had this porcelain bowl they slid under the bed. <laughs> what is that? And they would explain it to me. And I would say, that's disgusting. But that's what you rich people think. That's what you rich people think. And I had clear instructions. It wasn't for both uses. Only the one. Did you know that other stuff? You take outside. <laughs> so anytime during the day, or if so happened in the middle of the night, and you can use the bedpan for that, but no, you take that other stuff out of the house. You're stinking up the house with that. Get that stuff out of here. Get that away from us because we don't want to be around that. And yet we live in a Christian culture that, well, I've prayed the prayer and I went on to Jesus, but I still actually kind of like a lot of my old life. I still enjoy some of my sin. I don't think it stinks at all. And therein is the problem. Yes. Jesus didn't die just to give us a ticket into heaven that we, we cling to our favorite sins, but we let the big nasty ones go. He came and he died to make us holy. And you can't make yourself holy by being more religious. You can make yourself more hypocritical by being religious. So you can only take steps towards holiness when you get thoroughly disgusted by the effect and the smell of your sin. There's some things I want away from me. So when Jesus is making himself publicly known right after his baptism at the beginning of what we call his public ministry, Remember what John the Baptist said? It's right here in John chapter 1 and verse 29. Jesus is there and John the Baptist says, Hey, fellas! And he would probably gesture. Look! He's the one I've been telling you about. Behold! Which means, look! Look! 
He is the Lamb of God who has come to what? Take away. Take away. Take away. Take, take away. And, and, and we think, well, he, he, he took it away from me. I don't care what he did with it. No, he took it on himself. Yeah. He became the goat. One that shed his blood, but he's also the other goat that took our sin. I, I want you to think about that. I, I want you to spend a lot of time contemplating. There's the, 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 the sacrifice that he died. I, I don't know which is worse. But before he's dying, as he's dying, he's feeling. Well, how do you feel when you get caught in your sin? And even if you don't get caught, how do you feel when you just, you, you come to yourself and say, yeah, I, I know I did that, and now I, I'm disgusted, I hate myself. What did I do that to? How does that make you feel emotionally? I think there have been times in my life I actually got literally physically sick because I'm contemplating, I'm thinking about my spiritual sin. Now add mine and yours, and we're a small group here, and all those that are truly, I'm not talking about every individual in the whole world, but, but, but in the history of mankind, from Adam till now, right now, every true believer, I have no idea what percentage that is, every, just, just, talk, talk about, just talk about true believers, true believers, take all of that emotional guilt, shame, regret, yeah! collective, mine, yours, every true believer, and lay it on the back of Jesus at Calvary. Do, do you hear now what he's saying? My God, why have you forsaken me? You know why? Because he's on his way to evade me. He's carrying my sin so that I never have to carry it again. Now, if Jesus can take your sin away, why, why don't you be more intentional and compassionate about helping people around you? Why don't you absorb some of their sin and tell them how they can truly be free of it? Why, why do you have to just lash back at people? Why are you mad all the time? The Lamb of God came to take away like the scapegoat in Leviticus chapter 16. To take away the sin of the world. This makes me want to not just kneel, to lay prostrate on my face and weep till July. Forgive me for thinking this is, I'll just repeat the prayer and we go to heaven and die and try not to embarrass Jesus as best you can. That's, that's Christianity now? That's, that's Christianity. No, it's not. That's American Christianity. It's American religion, but that's not Christianity. It's not biblical Christianity. He took my sin away by the shedding of his own blood. Think, think about the human being in your life. They may not even be born again. Think about the human being in your life. Maybe a parent, an aunt, an uncle, somebody in your life who has invested in you and even when you betrayed them and, and exploited them, they just kept loving and forgiving, loving and forgiving. And you, there's just no way you, you would be where you are without them. You feel a sense of indebtedness. You feel a sense of thanks. You think, and you want, you want another person trying to even the score, but yeah, I just want to say thank you. I just, I, I just want to say thank you. And 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 your attitude and your emotion and your behavior shows that thank you. Well, whatever Jesus has done far outweighs whatever that person that's in your imagination or in your thinking right now. Jesus done far more than that person. Yeah, yeah, far more. Yeah. 
I've had people who died to their money for me. I've had people who died to their own ambition for me. I've had people who died to, to their schedule for me. I've never known anyone other than Jesus who literally died. But all the people who died emotionally and economically and, 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 and by schedule for me, I love those people and I tell them I love them and, and, and I would do virtually if it's within my ability to do that do it for them because of the sacrifices they've made for me. But all of them in comparison to what Christ has done. Hey. Hey. This is the story of the gospel. This is substitutionary atonement. That I have whatever I have in Christ because I did nothing. And I'm still struggling with dying to myself. Aren't you? The call is that we would die to ourselves. You've been bought with the price. So quit living for yourself and live for him who died for you. And we're struggling with that. Well, it's, you know, what am I supposed to do? Just get, not do anything and give my all to Christ? Yeah, that's stupid. Don't do that. I don't think Jesus asked you to leave your family. I can prove in scripture. He says, no, no, no. If you really love me, you will be salt and light and, and, and godliness to your family. Yeah. He asked you to quit your job. That's right. He's saying, don't be ashamed of me on your job. He's not asking you to open your throat. He's asking you to take out your heart, lay it before him and say, I'm yours, God. I'm yours. But that's salvation. I can't save myself. I can't earn it. I can't work it. But I am required to believe that he's already done it for me. He's the goat that sheds his blood. He's also the goat that bears my sin far away from me. He's the lamb that was slain at Passover and the heart of my life has been covered by his He's the animal in the Garden of Eden that was killed. So the, the shabby fig leaves that Adam and Eve made for themselves. No, that's not going to work. I give you real covering that requires blood sacrifice. This is the story of the Bible. Yes. Beginning to end. Yes. And we're just in the Old Testament. We didn't get to the reality yet. Next week. This, this, this is, is the story of the Bible. Stop trying to save yourself. It's a price you can never pay. A perfect, sinless life offered up in death. You can't pay that price because I know you and you know me and ain't none of us here perfect. That's what the Bible says. Those that are justified live by faith. Because that's how we started this life. In faith. Like Abraham, you saw this one. Faith. Everything is faith. And we keep saying, well, I believe in God, but I'm really trying, I'm really trying to stop trying. Stop, just stop trying. And believe. Stop trying. And believe. And ask God to change you. Ask God to change you. And when he gives you what to do, he says, well, I, I don't think it's going to be that. Ask God to change you. And he's probably not going to say, well, I, I, I just want you to... Uh, Put saying crap. I think he's going to say something like, "Why, why don't you love someone sacrificially?" That's right. Ask him and see what he asks you to do. That requires faith. That requires okay. I'm going to trust you. I'm going to trust you. We say, well, I, I, I just, I, I, I'm all, I've always been like this. I can't stop being like this. I'll do this. And then we offer something within our abilities. But Christianity is not about our abilities. Christianity is about me abandoning my so-called abilities. And him giving me his abilities. And I do the impossible. Like loving the heart to love. Turning the other cheek. Going to second mind. To quit boasting about myself. To take the back seat. And give someone else the front seat. 
That's biblical Christianity. That He is the Lord. I don't run my life. He runs my life. Yeah. I don't just check on Him from time to time. No, He's the boss. Right. He shed His blood in payment for my sin. And then He took that sin far away from me, like these two goats in the last of these illustrations here this morning. That's power of the cross. Right. That's just all we can get this morning. Thank you.